And when they start working as a team, they don't just blame sales, they can say, hey, this is where the issue is. But they can critically evaluate each section of their vision, each function, and understand what the business flow. And I think that's that same thing coming alive, where we don't just blame someone else for it. We're actually saying, okay, what do we can do? If we, if sales need more marketing needs, how can we help the team unblock the pipe? I, I often think about this as watching seven-year-olds play football. Yeah. And Johnny comes up and he says to his mum, I scored two goals, look at me, aren't I amazing? And the team lost 5-2. But Johnny doesn't care that the team lost 5-2 because that's not his job. His job is to score goals. And at seven, that maybe that's... Um, yeah. entirely reasonable but you know I think if you if sales can win but operations are losing then the management team the leadership team in this organization is not yeah. winning hello and welcome back to the sparks by Ignium podcast I'm Phil Rose the host of the sparks by Ignium show for the last three years whilst we've been running this podcast and beyond I've been working with Dominic Monkhouse Dominic and I have a very similar philosophy on growth of businesses. Don works more with tech firms and helps them scale. I work with other businesses that also to do exactly the same thing, helping them scale. And we do it through people, strategy, execution, and cash. One of the key things we work with is a scaling up program, which Dominic actually introduced me to back in 2017 or 2018. The key to this is actually how do we help you scale faster with less stress, help you get to where you really want to be going. And I always say, if you want to grow the value of your business, even if you never want to sell, you need to go through the program because it helps you do more, helps you get more out of it. We talk about more time, less stress, more money, and more fun to quote phrase from other people. But it's the key bit is how do you help that business come together? So today I was delighted when Dominic said, why don't we do a podcast together to talk about our future growth institute scaling up program that we'll be hosting from September this year. In this, of course, we're not just talking about the Growth Institute program, we're talking about a lot of other things as well. And the key is, how do we help you grow your business? We're starting the program this year on September the 6th, 2023. And so I was delighted to sit down with Dom for 45 minutes at the farm to help people understand a bit about what this program is about. If you've got questions, please send them off to me, phil at igniumconsult.com, or message me, or give me a call. Talk about what your questions might be. Think as you listen to this podcast, where would I need to focus? Is it my people? Is it my strategy? Is it my execution? Or is it my cash? Because we know that working on people, strategy, and execution will drive cash, but also there's levers in the cash tank as well. And that's what we want to do. So as this program is about the eight week program we'll be running with coaching in between to really help you scale the, and grow your business. So you know you're gonna have a better place to work, be less stressed, produce more money, and guess what? Will be more fun as well. So enjoy the show. Let me know your questions. Give me a call when you need. It's Phil Rose with Don Monkhouse, recording to talk about our Growth Institute scaling up program starting on September 6th. Enjoy the show. So Don, welcome to the podcast. We're recording something as a joint podcast, which is very funny actually. And also I'm doing this face-to-face with Don where we normally do it through Zoom only. So it's quite strange looking at the person I've been talking to in the last few years and talking into the computer. So welcome to our podcast together. Phil, um, it's great to be here. Welcome. <laughs> So we're going to talk today about the Growth Institute course that we're going to be running, which yeah. we're kicking off on September 6th, 2023. And we thought it would be a good opportunity just to talk through a bit about what it is and why we're going to do it. So um, it's not the first time we've done this. It's not the first time we've worked with the Growth Institute. Why are we doing it this time? We've, I think we've had more than 150 individual people from multiple teams, multiple yeah. companies go through the course with us with the Growth Institute. And where 
people have found leadership teams are looking to do development. Yeah. I think maybe they need to get clarity and alignment on a strategic direction. Yeah. They're trying to nail down their culture. Yeah. Maybe they've got a change program. Maybe they've got new people on the leadership team. These are all things I think are challenges that would make sense to do the scaling up master business program with the Growth Institute and us. Yeah. Then, and there's an amount of eight modules of video then supported by a number of masterclasses, but also supported by weekly one-to-one coaching. And I think that weekly one-to-one coaching in small groups is really, really powerful. Yeah. Certainly that's the feedback that we've had from teams that we've done it with so far, yeah. isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, the, the companies we work with since um, 2022 running this on the specifically the Growth Institute have actually really benefited from that. And I know that the coaching I've done, they said that the program's good and we know it is, but actually the coaching helps really cement it together. So you get the teams working together and whether you're an individual company coming together or working with multiple companies, you get real value from the lessons in the room as well. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've seen people get, that lessons in the room. That eight sort of eight modules of scaling up coursework, what do you have a, do you have a favorite module? Mm, good question, actually. So, so I have two favorite modules. Okay. And I think one of them sits in people and one of them sits in strategy. Right. Um, because I think we always talk about people, strategy, execution, and cash. And whether you're using a scaling up program or any other program, you've got to get those two right. And I think the bit around people to cement that in the first place is key. And the key bit is, Harris, how do we determine who should be in the team? Because we all know teams that work really well and they've got the mindset of driving themselves forwards. And there's other teams that don't work as well. So I think about how do you assess your talent in the first place is one of the bits that I really think is the underpinning foundation getting it going. So I would say the people ex- people piece around talent assessment is key. And I mean, more broadly, I think certainly when I look at the data, new clients that we work with, they find that when they're looking at a player, the top yeah. 10% of available talent for a given job in a given location at a given salary, haven't thought about it quite like that in the past. And when they do the work, they find that maybe they're a player percentage across their organization is somewhere between 10 and 35 percent and so i find it clients are uh they're driven to say okay well who've we got where are they where's some gaps maybe even the talented jerks the uh toxic a's often people have a toxic a and this gives them the impetus to do something about that typically there aren't so many c players because whatever mod whatever way you think about talent they're often easy to um, move on um and then what's the what's the strategy thing that you um that you the module strategy what's the yeah. bit in the strategy module you really like well interesting i think it relates back to the, the cultural piece you talked right. about you know people going through culture change i think it's the culture piece about getting the right culture and values together but then doing something about it because we talk about one page strategic plan and the left hand page is very much the high level piece looking at purpose big hairy audacious goal but then how do you bring the values alive because actually that links into how do we build the right culture? And I come back to the same thing. If you've got the right team in place with the right culture, you can do anything because you can actually make the commercial results different by doing that. And I think so many companies, you know, they come to us and want commercial return. That's revenues up, costs down. But the real benefit comes from getting the team right. If you get the culture right, you're going to build longer term sustainability. You know, Jim Collins talked about being good to great all those years ago about getting that bit right. And how do you, how do you help your team understand how do we operate to deliver real value? So to me, it's the cultural piece of it. 
and then feeding that into some of the key priorities for the next three to five years. What do we need to do around team management? How do we build that, that team? So I think it's those bits. So strategy related to people and building it into the plan in the first place, I think is really key. Okay. And I, th- I think you're right. They, often people say, well, we've got a culture and it's great, but they haven't designed it deliberately yeah. to achieve their strategic objectives. Yeah. And I think it's that designing it deliberately. And I think it's making culture a strategic piece. Because so many people just go at it from a commercial return, but actually we know they've got to get that underpinning in place. And I think if you want to grow the value of a business, you know, we've worked on you know, valuation models and it's all underpinned around talent, capability and culture. And that's the foundation. You can do anything, but if your foundation is weak, your business is going to crumble long term. So how do you build that? And how do you then build in, we talked about A play, how do we build in to coach people up from B plus or minus into the A and you've got to put that on the plan. I think that's one of the key things. And making a brick, you know, effectively a rock in the glass. So that's the key bit, I would say. What about you? Where would you put your top module? You know, there's eight of them there. What's the key? I, I, I think I reread from time to time that Jim Collins stuff. Yeah. And the last time I read, actually, no, it was, it was reading uh, BE 2.0, his, yeah. his latest book, where he said it does beyond entrepreneurship and he does a 20 year retrospective. And I was struck by how much. He says one should obsess about the quality of the people and like yeah. getting the right people on the bus. Yeah. And it goes back to the A player thing. And I, I, the one thing that falls out of that, I guess, is then you have to say, well, what could we do? Well, we're coaching, which is what you talked about. Yeah. Often what happens is people say, let's review our recruitment process. Let's make sure that every single person we hire is an A player. Yeah. And then one of the things that flows from that is this sort of deliberate culture thing, which is, uh, you know, when we talk about scorecards and we might say the company wants to invest in a particular role, yeah. it has a salary for a particular role. It needs a return on investment of that salary. And, and often, I think, as a rule of thumb, you know, if I've got a salesperson, it's probably they're all up salary and I want three or mm. three to five times that in terms of gross profit. Yeah. Yeah. I probably want the same from for any one of the, if we're charging people out, if we've got engineers or consultants, I want something similar. Yeah. And so, you know, in some of those roles, it's really easy to see what the return on investment is. And then saying, well, what are the KPIs? A year from now, what would an A player be delivering? What are the three to five things that they have to deliver and at what level to be excellent? And making sure that that's what we go and hire for. And so we know we're hiring for A players for the next 12 months. Yeah, And that's really deliberate hiring policy, which again, most small businesses don't have that level of rigor around yeah. hiring hiring to ensure that we have A players and scorecards. Yeah. And actually, I think that scorecard fits in as well because the thing is strategically for a business, you've got to put your plans and place where you want to be. And, and if we're setting our goal for three to five years, which is a point on the journey for our 10 to 20 year vision or wherever we're trying to go, which might be brought back closer for some businesses, it's being deliberate. I think that word deliberate is key. And linking people to some of the deliberate actions you want to take what do we need to be great at? We talk about a lot of times about mapping out your target operating model and actually determining in that model, okay, red, amber, green, where are your bits you need to focus on? Because your green bits are good. What do we need to do to those other areas? And it might just not be people. It might be the processes that people follow. And I think that's a big bit as well around how do you get people to do the right thing? Because you and I know that we can get people on the bus unless they're doing the right things, yes. the business is all going to fall over. Now, with an A player, you expect them to be doing that because they're doing themselves. But I do think you've got to look at how do we define the model with, with, with business runs on 
Yes, well, and I suppose picking up on that would be then just to reference another tool would be the functional accountability chart. Yeah, yeah. and that I, I was talking to a client this morning, and they hadn't had their best month ever. Okay, shame. And yeah, what had we not got to yet? Well, we hadn't yet got to functional accountability chart and leading versus lagging metrics, yeah. and so you know they had a poor month. But they'd measured it, they're measuring really mainly lagging metrics. And so it had almost taken them by surprise. Yeah. Whereas if we'd been looking at some leading metrics in those daily huddles, those weekly weekly and monthly management meetings, they would have picked up that yeah. they were behind where they needed to be. Before they got there. Yeah. Interesting. I, was, I was talking to someone the other day, and, and he's not yet a client. I was talking to him about one of his salespeople. And I said, what's the one thing you measure your salesperson on? He said, budget. So what do you mean budget? He said, well, he's responsible for everything. He's got to hit the revenue, but he's also got to manage the numbers. He's also got product out the door. And I said, no, what's the one thing? And he said, it's not one thing. It's lots of things. What's he's your thoughts on that? Sales, that's not a salesperson. I, 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 you know, I, oh, he's sales manager. Oh, yeah, sales he was manager. managing the sale. Yeah, sorry, sales. Well, I still think that that's, you've diluted that, yeah. that, that, you know, that, that specificity is one of those yeah. things that if you're trying to scale a business, yeah. specificity is really key. So, you know, often... Clients will have this role selling to existing customers, and there'll be an amount of there'll be amount of selling. There'll be some account management. Yeah, yeah. There, there'll be some sort of project management of the sale. They'll be generating the proposal. Mm. There'll be some tea and biscuits. You know, there might be some customer success. Mm. There's loads of stuff. So we're talking about you know specificity was the key there about yeah. how do you make sure you've got one thing to measure yourself against. I, I mean, when people are doing scorecards, it's like what is the what is the one thing? Yeah. And so if you pick that sales manager, for example, then I think you'd say, well, the one thing is it might be revenue, it might be gross margin, mm-hmm. but there'll be there'll be it, there's an amount of sales that you're bringing in that yeah. is the key. Yeah. And all of those other things are actually probably somebody else's job i think i think if you if your job is sales then you should be spending 80 percent of your job doing it if your job is 10 percent sales and 10 percent this and 10 percent that and 10 percent the other then you can't scale that organization right mm-hmm. i can't measure you up have i got the best salesperson that i could possibly have or have i got somebody who's a bit does a bit of sales and does a bit of this yeah. and does a bit of that yeah. and yeah as businesses when you do a startup you typically have a you know first six people through the door everyone's wearing more everyone's hats. doing it yeah as you scale, you've got to be more specific. So selling to existing customers, different from selling to new business. Yeah. Selling, different from account management, different from customer success, different from project management. Mm-hmm. Um, often one of the things that we see scale in sort of certainly in tech firms is pre-sales. At the yeah. beginning, pre-sales is probably done by somebody who's an engineer who's also responsible for delivery. Almost always, as those businesses scale, you see that pre-sales as the bottleneck yeah. in the business. And we're constantly looking for where is the constraint in the business. And often specialization yeah. is how you can identify that constraint and make sure that that constraint is running yeah. 100% of the time to avoid, to avoid it being the bottleneck. Yeah. Interestingly, this individual I'm talking about, which I think is really key, and I'd love to get them on the scaling course because I think they'd learn so much from it around what's the one thing. Um, they're actually a sales manager, so they've got people they're managing. Um, they've got product to get out the door. And I think their boss, the guy above them, doesn't understand the fact that this guy should have one thing to be measured on. Because I think because they're scattergunning it, the boss is taking a very controlling aspect of it. And I think there's a lack of trust in the team. Yes. So one thing you, you asked me just you know, what's the key area of me? And I said about people. I come back to Patrick Lencioni and we look at the five dysfunctions and say, what's the key thing that you build the five dysfunctions to turn into a functional team on? And it's trust. 
And I think about this individual, I think his boss does not trust him to do the job. He's trying to micromanage all the time. And I think that's a lack of, lack of respect for him, but I think it's him feeling like he's out of control. Yes. So I think there's something there about how do you build trust? If you've got good salespeople, you get them focused on one thing, but as the boss, I'm going to trust you to do the thing you're, you're paid to do. And that's what I think this other person isn't doing at the moment. Yeah, trust and verify, but that's where the scorecard comes in because yeah. then we said in advance, yeah. what, what are we expecting leading and lagging indicators yeah. to be for the... And we can mark you on it. Have you done what you said you were going to do? What's yeah. your say-to-do ratio? Yeah, okay, good point. So talk about say-to-do ratio. That's the other thing. I come back to people and think about, you know, one of the big things we work on on uh, scaling up is Rockefeller Habit Checklist. Yeah. 10 questions before questions done. So it's 40 questions in total. So we look back into people and execution. If you're looking at those, because obviously the execution model here is we can build the right people team, we can build the right strategy. Unless you go and do it, you're not going to deliver the cash at the end of the day. So thinking about execution, what's your biggest tip you're going to, if you were, if you were coaching a team now and you saw them come in the door as a tech firm or any other firm and execution was an issue, where do you think or where do you typically see execution falling down? It could be loads of different places. I, I think one of the, I mean, I've seen it, just recently seen it happen in a number of different places. Okay. So maybe talk about those two. So in one, the delivery team, both of these are tech firms. In one, the delivery team is saying, uh, or sorry, the support team is saying, we're supporting clients who seem to not have the, have the wrong expectation. And they're looking at it from the support perspective and they're very much in the support silo. And when we look at their business flow, sales are short of marketing leads. Okay. So are selling anything that they can. Yeah. And therefore the customer isn't the right customer and does have the wrong expectations and, and then support are finding it difficult to, to deliver at the level that the customer has an expectation. expectation yeah. and, and until we get the team in a room and we sit down and we map that process back, the support, the head of support had never thought that the only way to solve their problem was to help fix marketing. They saw themselves in their own swim lanes, yeah. in their own silos, and that really they didn't see the connection across the business process. Yeah. And so that's one that we've seen a number of times where that's, if we approach this as a team, mm. we can fix it. Whereas if we approach it on our own, maybe we're digging, you know, we're just in the dark digging every day, yeah. feeling no sense of forward momentum because shit's just sort of poor pilot continuing yeah. to pile down in front and in other organizations, you've got maybe that sales have been successful and now there's a, there is a backlog or a waterfall or a work, high level of work in progress in, in the operations team. And that is a lack of management around uh, efficient use of resources. Mm -hmm. And so there's a process there that says, you know, uh, how are we billing our clients? How are we turning up? How are we measuring success and even sometimes just reporting yeah you know that uh the operations team i've seen this in a number of clients where the operations team ring a client and say we need to book somebody in to come and do some work for you and the client goes oh i'm not free until three weeks on tuesday and and the client is always driving this and so they just never seem to get on top of yeah. their utilization whereas other clients would just go this is your slot. Yeah, book it in. Uh, the engineers in your area are on Tuesday, and and often it's the it's the evolution of a firm over time versus somebody with another business model or another yeah. way of doing things. And quite often, that's what we get to do as coaches. We yeah. go, 
have you thought about doing it like this? Or what would happen if you did it like this? Or here's an example of a client that we've worked with has done it. Same thing, but differently and had a different result. Yeah. I like that. And, and interesting, actually, because I think that's where the target operating model comes in. And we use that language, you know, between you and I, but actually it's about understanding how do we help the business run so it, you know, everything runs smoothly. And getting the teams that are in, we've had people in this room where we've talked to them about what, how did your business run today? What's the current and how do you need to be? And when they start working as a team, they don't just blame sales. They can say, hey, this is where the issue is. But they can critically evaluate each section of their business, each function, and understand what does the business flow? And I think that's that same thing coming alive where we don't just blame someone else for it. We're actually saying, okay, what do we can do? If, we, if sales need more marketing needs, how can we help the team unblock the pipe? I, I often think about this as watching seven-year-olds play football. Yeah. And Johnny comes up and he says to his mum, I scored two goals. Look at me. Aren't I amazing? And the team lost 5-2. But Johnny doesn't care that the team lost 5-2 because that's not his job. His job is to score goals. And at seven, that maybe that's um, yeah. entirely reasonable. But, you know, I think if, you, if sales can win but operations are losing, then the management team, the leadership team in this organization is not winning. Yeah. And so yeah. that target operating model you refer to really is to say, uh, what game are we playing? Yeah. What's the score? What are the white lines? What are the rules? Yeah. How are we turning up? You know, I played sport most of my, you know, team sport most of my life. And, you know, you'd go and train on a Tuesday and a Thursday in the rain. Mm. Why do you go? Because you said you were going to go. Yeah, you turn up. And you turn up and then you play on a Saturday and most of the time you're playing a game that nobody cares about the result except you. And, but, you know, you're playing, you're playing in a position yeah. and the team are counting on you to, I don't know, do whatever it is, you know, scrummage or, or catch in the yep. line out or kick a ball or run and score a try. And everybody, and, you know, without the team playing together as a team, you know, we'll get beaten by the opposition. Yeah. And so I think so often individuals are, in a silo and they're not we're not working as a team and the kpis mm. and the metrics aren't joined up and they're not looked at in a real real-time way yeah. so it gets to the end of the month and people go how did we do yeah what we yeah, what game what game were we playing what was the score what position were we, did we say we were going to be in are we practicing right and so you know i know malcolm gladwell has had some a bit of stick about his ten thousand hours rule and he might have misrepresented it slightly, but what is absolutely undeniable is that nobody takes on a skill without deliberate practice. Yeah. And I think business is a full contact sport. And I think you have to practice. And I think you own, there's no point in practice. I don't know about you, Phil, but I meet a lot of people who play golf. And I say to them, are you any better now than you were 20 years ago? And most of the time they say, no, I'm worse. Yeah. And that's because they're actually playing golf because they enjoy playing golf. And they're not actually spending any time to be deliberately, yeah. deliberately yeah. practicing golf to be better at golf. And so this is the, the, the like, are you in business and are you happy with your results? And if you are just being in business might be enough joy for you. Yeah. But if you want to be better, you know, if, if you're the owner operator of a business and you want this, you want this business to, you want to maximize your, the, the value of your life's work. Yeah. Then building a team takes deliberate practice and you've got to have some playbooks. So you've got to run the playbooks, yeah. practice the playbooks, because as we know, you know, when you're playing and you're under pressure, you have to respond instinctively. And so the playbooks and practice are about 
thinking about what we should be doing when mm. we're under pressure and mm. building the muscle memory around that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, whether that's having difficult conversations or whether that's hiring right or building the right culture, it's these are this is all deliberate practice for the game of playing business and dealing. Yeah. And you know, I love that actually. I've just been listening again to Carol Dweck's book about growth mindset. Mm. And it really fascinates me when you talk about that because a lot of the people who are we see in the world as being top of their game aren't necessarily the most gifted, but they're the most dedicated. So Mike, she talks about Michael Jordan, she talks about Muhammad Ali, she talks about uh, Tiger Woods from a sporting angle. She then talks about Jack Welsh from a GE perspective. Now, people have different views about GE maybe over the last few years. But what they did is they had that growth mindset comparing with some of the fixed mindset people who said, I've got it already. And what she said is, you look at good to great and what Jim Collins did when he looked through at the, the companies he was following, when he did the comparative study about those who weren't achieving the results, the one thing he found was there was a leader in those businesses in the fixed mindset sense who actually said, it's all about me. It was the, the, the hero surrounded by a team to go and do their work. Whereas what she, what, what she found when she talked to Jim Collins about the businesses that did really well, they had a hero in the center, but actually they pulled the team together. It wasn't about I, it was about we. And I think that's that mindset piece around, actually, if you put out there to play golf and you just want to have a social walk around the park and enjoy it with your friends, be happy with that. If you want to learn, you need to put in the hours to do it and challenge yourself. So when it goes wrong, you can still get yourself out of the rough because you've done it time and time again. And I think even having a mental model about yeah. what we're trying to do and why, you know, the US, any army would say no plan survives first contact. And, you know, the values in the planning, not in the plan. And so if you've thought about what you're trying to achieve mm. and you've got a plan to achieve it, even if the plan goes wrong, you still understand all the stuff that got you to the point where the plan is. And you can then much more quickly uh, pivot. Yeah. But I was also thinking, as you were talking, that, you know, that research that Gladwell quotes about the, I think it's the viola yes. thing in Vienna. Uh, one of the things is that it didn't matter whether you practice 2,000 hours or 10,000 hours. Nobody liked practice, yeah. right? Yeah. Even, the people, even the people that went on to be soloists didn't enjoy practice. Mm. And so I, I take heart in that, right? So this is, you've got to, that's why I think purpose is important. Yeah, okay. Right? Why so, are you doing it? So you have to have a why because there's going to be times when this isn't like fun. Yeah, right? You're yeah, going to have to yeah. dig deep, it's about better which, than is a, which is a mindset thing. But, you know, turning up and play, turning up and training on a Tuesday in the middle of the season, you know, it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to be playing in the, we're going to be playing in the cold and it's getting colder and muddier uh, and we're still turning up. And that, you've got to have a reason to do that. Otherwise, yeah. you'll, you'll stop. Uh, and I just think that's, it's fascinating. But also, that, but what was also true is that the soloists did practice more than the people who went on to be play in a play in an orchestra or and they practice more than the people who went to go yeah. on to be music teachers and yeah. so this you know they might have all had the same level of innate talent on the way into the the, the school mm. but the ones that had the right mindset had purpose drove themselves to do more deliberate practice yeah. ended up with a better outcome and so I think it's in your control this yeah. is as a team you can pull a team together and outperform there's so many examples of the team outperforming 
yeah, a group of individuals. And, and I think it's interesting because you've worked at companies where you've had the leader has moved on to other businesses. They've done well in their own business and then they've moved on to another business and then they've made that work as well. Yeah. And I think that's that lucky. mentality. They're lucky. Lucky, yeah. <laughs> Just lucky, yeah. They woke up with a lucky gene. They've worn the silver spoon in the mouth. Yeah. But it's something else as well as luck. I, I, think, I think the CEO's got two jobs. If the CEO can, if the CEO's got skills to do with third, that's great. But yeah. two jobs is really they've got they've got to come up with a vision, yeah, and they've got to sell the vision, yeah, right. And if, they, if the CEO's doing that, and I mean part of the program that we that we work on is that you know how do you create purpose, BHAG, core values, which Jim Collins describes that whole thing as, as the vision, yeah. And I think coming up with that process that says, well, okay, how do I do that? You know, we were with, I was with some clients the other week, and they're like. We don't really like our purpose. Works for some people, but not for everybody. So we don't tend to talk about it very much. Crush a little bit. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, well, let's do a bit of work around working out what this actually is in your business, what it could be that everybody could get behind. Yeah. Because when I see that work really well, it's incredibly powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's interesting that you use that word purpose just now, you know, it's getting yourself out in the morning when it's wet and cold, if you're out training something, or if it's running your business or if you're playing the viola, it's about having a purpose. You've seen people who struggle with this. And I think, yeah, Jim Collins talked about this, about having a purpose. I always say a purpose above and beyond making money. Yeah. That's just my view on it, because that builds the team together and actually gives you another view on it. And I think if you look at those businesses that do really, really well, they have got that purpose that bonds you together. What have you seen where businesses have, you know, you talked about not having a purpose and failing on it. What have you seen that's, that's moved people together? What's the bits that's created a real why? I, I mean, one of the clients who were with is a company called Ontruck in Spain, whose, whose purpose was a world without waste. Mm-hmm. And so they were building a delivery algorithm for trucks and their long-term goal was that these trucks would ultimately be EV, but today they're not. Okay. But they've built they built a delivery algorithm, um, and they were selling that on their own. Now they're licensing that to uh, to larger manufacturers to, because so they've pivoted the product, if you like, mm-hmm. or they've pivoted the solution. And so where it really works is where I think you're not in love with your solution, but you're in love with the purpose and you're in love with the problem you solve yeah. for the group of customers that you solve it for. So so I love this space. Yeah. And my solution, I bring it to market and it may or may not work, but it means it's clear what else I could add to my solution. Yeah. Yeah. When you know I can use it to make strategic, strategic decisions. Or uh, at at Rackspace, we had fanatical support with really yeah. our purpose statement. And so that drove us to deliver a customer service level. And in our BHAG, we said we were going to be the Ritz Carlton of IT service. Um, and at Pier One, we ended up with a value that became our I suppose became our marketing slogan, which was every interaction matters, which again was around our the service quality of our business and, and what was important to us. And then they have impacts not just with the customer, but with employees. You know, at, at Rackspace, we changed the maternity policy or paternity policy in the UK because we got some feedback from the team that it wasn't very fanatical. It was just okay. a, bit, it's a bit ordinary, okay. a bit shit. Um, and so that's where I think you, if you've got a purpose that people are in tune with, then people are always saying, you know, should we go left or right? Should we zig or zag? Which mm. one takes us, which one's in keeping or more in keeping with our purpose? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You, you, you've told me this a few times. We've talked to past about this. The story about Ritz-Carlton, you saying you, you, know, you want to be the Ritz-Carlton in your space. 
that did more for you than just purpose. And you've always told the story about what that did for you in terms of the media. Oh, I, I mean, that, that's sort of our BHAG statement, that where will we be in 10 to 25 years? And I mean, we used to have something terribly dull, like we want to be the number one or we want to be the leading managed service provider for customers who care oh. about something, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then just to change it to be what we want. And what happened was, I think you were, the fact that journalists would yeah. write about us around Rackspace and they would say, Rackspace, the Ritz-Carlton of IT services. And so just the fact that we'd written it in, a, in that way yeah. meant it became self-fulfilling because people would speak about it as if it was already true rather than it was a 10-year yeah. goal. Actually, that's true. They speak about it as if it was already true. So it gave you something to aim for as well. Yeah. Well, and, and I think what's interesting is you, I suppose, if mm. I was to formalise that now, what would I do? Well, one of the tools I might use might be a tool we've nicked from Amazon, which would be PRFAQ. So what you do is you say, at some future state, we're going to have launched a product for a group of customers and it will solve a particular problem. And so you write the press release, which puts you in that future state. And then you write the FAQ document, which is an internal document, which you then say, what what has to be true for that to happen? And so I like that as as an exercise in sort of uh, future casting Mm. or almost sort of doing a, Doing a pre-mortem yeah. on on that on our strategic strategic intent. Yeah, I love that. It's interesting that that future casting thing is the key. But you always when you talk about Stephen Covey, start with the end in mind, and that's what that PRFAQ is doing. Yeah. Start. Where do we want to be? What do we want people to be saying about us? And and go out and your way of creating it. And in some ways, that's brought the conversation full circle because we talked about you know building a plan out for the future and creating your actions to live by, and then looking at what you can feed that into strategic plan. So where do you want to be? And I think this is one of the key things. It's about having that foresight of what you want. And then with that growth mindset saying, what do we need to learn? What do we need to do? What do we need to deliver to get us into that state in the future? And I think that's a really interesting part for a lot of people. They don't think like that straight off the bat. No, I think they, uh, they're often thinking last year we did 10% and you know, we're going to do 10% more and then we're going to do 10% yeah. more rather than <clears throat> if we wanted to be 60 million 100 million 250 million what would need to be yeah true? yeah and, and it's interesting you, you and i've talked about dan sullivan's book 10x is being is easier than 2x yes and i think that's the key thinking difference isn't it yes what do you need to do differently to 10x your business just to double it next year or, or 10 percent as most people be thinking of? yes um, so let's just come back the, the point of this you know growth growth mindset comes into growth industry growth mindset to me is about the leaders learning Rockefeller habit number one is about the executive team is healthy and aligned, but under there is the executive team engages in executive education. This is where this growth industry program, I think, comes to mind for me. It's about doing something and investing in yourselves, which you might or might not have done before. So what have you seen that's enabled people to make the time to do this and then make a success of it? I don't think you need to make any time. I mean, okay, yeah. it's... it's <clears throat> It's not, it doesn't take very long. There's sort yeah. of eight hours of video content, yeah. right? So don't watch Netflix that week. That'll save you four hours. I don't know what you're going to do with the other three. <laughs> that watch that. I, one of the things that I've done is, is certainly when I've done courses with Growth Institute myself, is, you know, on the treadmill, on the bike. Yeah. I've actually watched the videos whilst doing some exercise. No, you can't do it whilst you're out running. <laughs> You, you, can can listen, listen you can listen to the audio, but you can't, you don't see any of the, you don't see any of the diagrams or what have you. But certainly I've done that. That's helpful. Yeah. And then I think this is, this isn't instead of work, this is what work is. So, you know, in terms of the coaching, that's, 
as well as maybe you put it, you schedule it ahead of the weekly meeting or I mean, if you're keen, you do it eight till nine or yeah. five till six. But yeah. honestly, if you can't find an hour a week yeah. to focus on this, then you're too busy yeah. and the quality of your team is not good enough good point. and good you're point. never going to get out of this hole. So this is an eight week investment to help you think differently about your business. And if you have to put in a few extra hours in this eight weeks, then I think you get a really clear outcome at the end, which is what do we need to fix so that we've freed ourselves up to spend more time on running the business. I think that's the key. And actually that's, I think, one of the key things, isn't it? I believe by doing this program, you'll get time back. It will, it will increase your ability to think about the future in terms of 10x is bigger than 2x or easier than 2x, but actually it will give you the time to go make it happen as well. Yeah. So if you can't find the time now by doing this program, I know you'll find the time because it will make it available. And whether you do 8 till 9 or 5 to 6 or 1 till 2, you'll fit it in. If it's Look, it, we, have, we have a conversation regularly about daily huddles, Yeah. right? And so people go, I don't know how I can fit in another daily huddle. I have. Why do I need another meeting in my life? And it's like, 15 minutes once a day. Honestly, if you if that doesn't save you an hour, yeah, then don't do it. But if you yeah. do it right, every single time we put the strong arm on people and go, just do it for a month and see what happens. They come back and they go, right, that was brilliant. I'm glad you forced us to do that mm-hmm. because actually we're seeing a much better saving than an hour. We're seeing maybe two or three hours of saving and there's just the momentum yeah. and a lack of reduction in rework that just means it's, we're running the business so much more efficiently. That's what we're doing. We're trying to provide some tools for people to help them run their businesses more efficiently. Yeah, I agree with that. It is about more efficiency of productivity. It would reduce results at the end of the day. And you know, we can sit here and say this because we've been doing this for a long time, running these programs in this very building, helping people actually do things differently. But actually, we know the result is more time, less stress, more money, more fun yeah. to cope for other people. And I think that's what it does for people because it educates you on how you can get out there and make your business a better place to be. Yep. Yeah, sounds good. So, job done. Yeah. Right, hope that works well. And uh, Don Monkhouse, Phil Rose, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Phil. Nice. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. This is just one of the great conversations I've had the privilege of being part of since I started recording the Sparks Bakenian podcast. So please, go back and listen to some of the others. There's some great content in there, some great contributors. And also, while you're at it, please leave a review of this show with your comments, because that helps other people like you find this content. And we want to bring about the change that we really know matters to people. It helps us grow. And also think about what actions you want to take, because there's no point just listening passively. We want you to pick it up and do something with it. So what are the three key things you want to do? I can't hold you accountable, but if you want to, drop me a note, phil at igniumconsult.com. We're always keen to listen to what you have to say and actually introduce guests to us that you think will bring relevance to other people. We wish you well. Give us a call. Let us know what you think. Give us a review. Thank you.